Good morning. Please, if you're in junior high, we'd like to dismiss you now. <laughs> Jefferson in the back. Thank you. In my last year, when I was overseas doing my master's in England, um, I took a trip, and I remember coming through the winding hills of Wales. You ever been to Wales? It's gorgeous. It's, they truly are winding. It probably takes you twice as long as you think to drive it because it's just so windy. And I remember seeing a sign coming on the way, and the sign said, Tintern Abbey. And those of you who know me as like a poetry geek, my heart skipped a beat. I was like, what, Tintern Abbey? Is that, is that the Tintern Abbey that William Wordsworth wrote a poem about? And I remember driving up to it and then like going, it is, it is. Such a gorgeous ruin. A beautiful space, even after it's been destroyed. And I started thinking about this this week as we've been talking about art and, and looking into this whole question of forbidden arts. And what happened with Tintern Abbey was that when King Henry VIII decided to go Reformation style, he passed an edict called the Suppression of the Monasteries, which was basically a money grab. But it also involved the, the monks being forced out, the lands and the monies all became the crown's money. The people began to burn down the buildings. So they get to the roof and take out the lead out of it because the lead was worth a lot of money. And so we saw some destruction of great, beautiful pieces of art, even though they were meant to glorify God. It was called the Reformation Iconoclasm. And the reformers in England probably weren't as harsh as other places. I'll show you a couple pictures. Here's the looting of the churches of Lyon by the Calvinists. They're coming in and they're starting to strip any religious iconography. The next picture is the, the destruction of religious images in Zurich. Again, see they're just taking the pictures of the saints and they're, and they're, they're burning them. And here's a, a, a picture of the, the remains of a, a Reformation building. The Reformation just ripped out the statues and left the building to be able to still have church in. Now, this is a kind of a double-edged sword because the problem was that the reformers believed that they had been and others were starting to treat the representations, the, the, the statues of Jesus and of Mary as idols. They had started kind of worshiping them. They had started giving them special powers of, of themselves. They'd come and bow down and touch them. And, and so the reformers saw this as, as a way of returning to idols. Icons become idols. Now, this wasn't the first time in Christian history where art started being concerning as idolatrous. In the Byzantine church, there was, there was great violence over the issue. There was actually two periods in the 8th and the 9th century where the emperors of the Eastern churches, they basically squashed the use of icons. No, no more icons. The Edict of 754 actually says uh, that Every likeness which is made out of any material and color whatsoever by the evil art of painters. If anyone shall endeavor to represent the form of the saints in lifeless pictures with material colors which are of no value, for this notion is vain and introduced by the devil, and does not rather represent their virtues as living images in themselves, let him be anathema. Destroy the art. Destroy the statues. Destroy the paintings. Talk about a, a scathing rebuke of religious art. 
Now, I would say, I'd hope most of us look at this and go like, we don't want to go that far. This, this iconoclasm, chasm that people can fall in really easily, like, uh, get, get worried about idolatry and then just start to burn everything. There's probably some influence in the 7th century from Islam, because Islam had been destroying any type of imagery. And, but the, in, in the end, all this discussion of iconoclasm comes down to an issue of hermeneutics. How do Christians deal with the second commandment of the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments? Let's read it together in Exodus 24 to 6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of parents, the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. No graven images. No image of anything in heaven or below. When you read it, it's, it's very stark. It almost sounds like God doesn't like art. As though he didn't want us to make any imagery whatsoever. But then we remember, just last week, if you came online, that God commanded the Israelites to make images of blue pomegranates and to carve little golden bells. So what's going on? God can't be saying you can't make any images whatsoever. What is he saying? He, he, he said to the Israelites, you need to carve out cherubims out of gold. Those are angels from above, aren't they? Why are we making images of angels from above? So what's going on? Well, I want to compare it to Leviticus. There's a verse in Leviticus that I think helps explain, expand upon what's happening in Exodus. Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves. Do not place a carved stone in your land or bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Do not place a carved stone in your land and bow down before it. So carving stones isn't wrong in itself. We know that the Israelites had the Ebenezer that reminded them of what God did when they crossed the River Jordan in the Exodus. God isn't saying don't make any images at all. What he's saying is there's a real issue here that when you make images, you might bow down to them. There's a danger when you're crafting your art of worshiping what you crafted. Humans have a tendency to worship their images. That's what we do. The term image is actually the same word as idol. It could, it could mean it's made out of metal, it could be made out of stone, it could be made out of wood, it could be made out of anything. And if you start to study the word idol in scripture, I actually really enjoyed it. I was doing a little study and, and some of the words are like non-God or things of not, vanity, iniquity, wind and confusion, the dead, carcasses, a lie. Do not create a lie. Like, well, what do you really feel about idols there, God? Well, if you want to really know, there's other words like elium, which means the powerless ones. Or my very favorite one is the gililim, which is the pellets of dung. Look what you've done, brung. Pellets of dung. God has an issue with idols. And it hasn't stopped. 
because humans have a very real issue with idols. If you think about this command, it's, it's very simple to obey, isn't it? Don't worship idols. It's like, okay. Why did it take hundreds and hundreds of years for the Israelites to finally obey this command? They've actually just found recent uh, new artwork in Israel, and they're, they're realizing, oh, there's, there was the Asherah alongside Yahweh. What's going on here? Asherahs were told to be torn down. Some interpreters say, well, it just basically means don't make images of, of Yahweh. Others say, no, don't make images of, of foreign gods. But usually there's, there's four different ways you can make an idol. You can make uh, uh, worshiping idols or images on their own. You could just be worshiping polytheistic gods of some sort on their own. It could be the worship of created things like trees or rocks or animals or stars. This is called animism. And then there's the worship of God, of Israel, with an image. These are all idolatry. But these are all the ways that the people worshiped their gods back in the ancient Near East. They put them on pedestals. They, they put clothes on them. They make them out of precious metals. They use all their artistic tools. And they make pretty, fancy, eye-catching art. And people become visibly mesmerized by these idols. Visually mesmerized. If one tribe defeated another god, they'd come in, they'd take their idol, they'd crack it, and they'd put up their god in the same place. It's even greater. Even Israel made a mistake. They took the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, and they actually started to treat it like an idol. If you remember, there's a place where they, they walk into battle and they bring it in front of them, and then they get it stolen. They're like, well, we got the Ark of the Covenant, we're gonna win this one. God's like, the Ark of the Covenant... It's not me. It was meant to stay in a tabernacle hidden in the Holy of Holies and you've brought it just in the middle of a battle and it actually gets stolen because they treated it like an idol. God's saying, don't you dare ever treat me like an idol. Now, of course, the follow-up story, if you remember the story, is that the Ark of the Covenant is put beside Dagon, the god, of the Philistines, and then that God keeps falling over on its face, right? And then it gets smashed, and then people start to get tumors, and they basically say, hey, have the ark back. But the point here is that you can't even treat a thing that God told you to create as an idol. So one of the big questions here is, what, what's happening? Do, do, do these people actually think of their idol as God? Like, when they had a statue, they're like, did they really think that was a God? I don't know about you. That kind of seem silly to me. Like, even the ancients, like, you're like, you're smarter than that. You don't think that statue's really God, right? I mean, Habakkuk kind of makes fun of them, some of the people for doing this. I, I read it from uh, 2.18. How valuable is an idol whittled by a worker? How valuable an icon that constructs cons? For the daft craftsman who drafts one seeks salvation from his own creation. He makes idols that are idle. Woe to him who says to wood, become vital. To comatose stones, you've arose. You chose that as your deliverer? Sure, it's covered in cold gold and silver, but it doesn't hold a simple sliver of spirit within her. Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let the ample earth birth silence in his presence. 
I find that funny, that part with the, the daft craftsman who drafts one. I, I, sometimes the Bible makes me laugh. Maybe I'm just a geek like that. But. Now, I'm sure a lot of the pagans realized that their idols were not actually gods themselves. I think of Alexander in the New Testament. He's a silversmith who gets mad at Paul because he's hurting his idol business. I don't think he really probably thought that it, it, on its own was an idol. Now, what they would do is they'd do magic rituals and ceremonies where they'd call the God's spirit to come and dwell the idol. The spirit was the God, but the, but the object kind of came like a, a, a container for the God. And you know what? Something about this this God in a container became very palpable to people. They're like, oh, I, I, I want to be able to touch it. I can, I, I'm attracted to something I can see. And so it was very tempting for Israel to make God into an idol. Hey, let's make a, an image of him. Let me ask you, uh, let's uh, do a little call out. Can we name some idols in scripture? Place where you, you can think of an idol. Yes. Dagon, awesome, that's a, that's a hard one, good, good work. <laughs> Any other idols you can remember? Baal. Moloch, where you'd actually come and you'd put your children in the oven. Any other idols you can think of in scripture? The golden calf, that's the, the idol from Exodus, right? What about like Nebuchadnezzar? Bow down to me, my statue. The pharaohs were idols. The Caesars, Caesar is Lord, was an idol. The Sphinx and the pyramids that the Israelites probably helped construct were idols. The sun disk, the Asherah poles. There was actually the, the snake. Do you remember the snake that Moses held up in the desert and all the snakes left? The Israelites end up worshiping that snake. We hear in Colossians that even angels became idols. People started worshiping angels. The Jewish faith boldly declared an end to the age of idols. God has no form. God can't be captured. He can't be contained. Even the word Yahweh is honored by the Jewish scribes. Once the, the pen of a Jewish scribe wrote the word Yahweh, they'd throw the pen out because the pen could do no greater thing ever again in its life. Honor God by not taking his name in vain and by not worshiping idols because people are prone to idolatry. This was the early church and it was very worried about this. The pictures starting to become things that people worshiped. This is why we had iconoclasm in the Reformation. The icons of saints had become objects of adoration. We saw this as far back as the third century. It was a problem. It's easy to start to treat physical things like they're magical. Uh, uh, even on the cross, right? Holding my cross. I touch my cross. These items become magical to people. And what he's trying to say is, he's saying, I am God. Now let me ask you a question. Here's a question the reformers asked. They had a little bit of a puzzle. Are we allowed to make pictures of Jesus? Jesus is God. Thou shalt not make any idols or images of God. 
And we had a, a bit of a split in the camp. Because some people said, wait, wait a second, no, no, Jesus is human. So we can draw Jesus and his humanity and honor him. And other people said, well, wait a second, if we do that, then are we separating the nature of God from his human nature? And then that's another theological mistake. Are we allowed to draw pictures of Jesus? Now, you probably know I th- show pictures of Jesus all the time, my slides, so I don't think it's idolatry. But it's just interesting that these kind of questions come up. It's easy for anything to become an idol. And this is the problem, I think. There's two dangers when it comes to art and the church. We're talking about the art of Exodus. There's two dangers I see. The first one is the iconoclasm chasm that I talked about. We fall into this pit of like, art is bad. Art is evil. It's used by Satan. We worship it. We begin to destroy art. We begin to ban art. We rip down beautiful buildings like Tintern Abbey. Look what the Taliban did in Afghanistan. Do do anyone see that video of those statues getting rocketed? Thousand-year-old statues being blown into smithereens. And ISIS actually claimed they wanted to do the same thing to the Sphinx and to the, to the pyramids. Now, Israel was called to destroy all the idols in the land. But I would say as Christians, some of these things, these are, these are artworks. Now, we're not called to ban art or destroy art as Christians. I don't believe that. It's taken a long time to, to be able to go back to the place uh, where Protestant artists are respected and encouraged. The, the church is starting to reclaim the arts. This is, a, this is a beautiful thing that we need to realize. Uh, but I would say, if I'm worried about one thing, I don't think the church is, is in danger necessarily of destroying art anymore. Maybe when I was young. I think the real danger now that we face is the danger of art as idolatry. Francis Schaeffer talked about the steps of despair in a culture, the stairs of despair, the ways in which like anti-God philosophy starts to infiltrate a society. First philosophy comes, you have someone like Nietzsche coming in and saying, God is dead. Or you hear now in our philosophy like, everything is God. And then what happens is, after the, the philosophers start philosophizing about these things, the artists take a hold of it. And you have the, the artists and the musicians, and then the culture starts to get this impregnated into them. And then finally, theology starts switching through the, through the lines of despair. The musicians, the filmmakers, the designers start to influence our culture in a way where it's easy for us as Christians actually to become part of the idolatry manufacturing. How often do you hear people on TV or in lines, uh, uh, waiting for a concert, like, he's my idol. Celebrities are just artists, yet we start to worship our artists. We talk about being starstruck. Those ancient pyramids were built directly to see the stars, to worship the stars, and now we're worshiping stars. Isn't that interesting? And you might be like, Cyril, you're kind of being a little too bold about this? Like, really, do we worship them? Let me show you a picture. That's idolatry. I mean, obviously, the first thing most of our hearts do is to feel really sorry for this young lady. I'm just wondering, do any of us have any names tattooed across our hearts that we don't know about? Drake calls himself the sixth god, right? The, the little G god of Toronto. 
Do we commit idolatry? Or, or the trophies as idols. Have you ever seen the, the Oscars? They look like a little idol. Do you ever worship idols? I remember when I had, my, my older church, we had an evening service. The, the, and then people just didn't come to church on Oscar night because it was an Oscar party. Idolatry today is live and well, my friends. It just takes a different form. It's real. Name an art and you will find some idolatry there. Rock stars, movie stars, writer stars, painter stars. And as Christians, like, how many of us love American Idol? Or did love it? We've started worshiping our artists sometimes. Is that, is that a fair thing? And they all get free passes a lot of times to be horrible people. Although the Me Too movement is starting to change that. But, but we knew about child molestation and uh, rapists, directors, and comedians. And all this was going on for a long time. It's like, oh, but they're really good at art. How about, do we, we think a lot of free passes. Do we give free passes to people who are stars that are Christians? I experienced a very sad um, and famous contemporary worship leader acting like a total diva. And I, and I, I won't say their name. It, was, it made me sad. I was just so sad. Like, oh, man, well, you're here to worship, help us worship the Lord, and yet, how is idolatry defeated? I gotta say one thing. It's not by the, the Christian celebrity, right? Celebrity pastor. There's a danger of worshiping things that were meant for God, just like that snake in the desert, worshiping people. I'm wondering, can, can we even make an idol out of the Bible? My ancestors, the Irish, very famous for their hot tempers. There's a, a crazy story about two clans killing each other because one made a copy of the other Psalter. How dare you copy my... Book of Psalms, I shall kill you. What? Did you read them? Have you read the scriptures? No, but I'll kill for them. Oh. It reminds me even of the saints' relics. The same thing would happen over pieces of the bodies of the saints. Like, what are we doing? Christians are making idols of our own. And we've been talking this month about the art of Exodus. God used and taught his people to create art, to escape slavery, to go to the promised land. Their problem was that they still had an enslavement to engravement, even after they left. I think our problem maybe as Christians is we have enslavement to entertainment. God gave men art to impart beauty, to move us from cultural enslavement to, to cultural engagement. But we need those brave men and women who are going to stand up to the current brainwashing which goes on with the current artistic climate around us. Augustine actually worried about worshiping the music more than God himself. He was worried about music sometimes. Paul mentions that how sometimes we value rhetoric more than we value the power of God himself. The, the power of words more than God, spirit. 
Paul even talked about how food became an idol of God for people. How many of us, by our actions, are worshiping food? If you're a Christian artist, I just want to say, don't be greedy. Don't be needy. Don't need the recognition, the Junos and the Oscars and the Grammys. Like, beautiful if you get it. But what we're recognizing is we don't need to crave fame to be, to be a slave to building up our own name. Making yourself into an idol. We can make our church into an idol. Boris View, right? Name any church like, oh, this. Jesus, ah, it's so easy for us as Christians to get caught in this. Don't cave in to Hollywood, the the holy wood, the the witchcraft of the moving image. I think we need to look at the entertainment industry. We have to ask ourselves, who is shaping these things? Is there intentional creation of cultural idolatry within them? You got Thor and the gods of Egypt, and it's interesting to me. Maybe just bringing Yahweh down to the level of a comic book god. It's another one of the. You worship what you spend your time and money on. There's, there's no, there's no getting around it. So let me ask you: What do you spend your time and your money on? Where really? Where do you pour that energy into? I looked at my week and I'm thinking, wow, this is, does the entertainment I'm in make me docile in my faith or active in my faith? This is the dark part of art, that it can move within the dark parts of your heart. Now, I know I might seem to be going too far here, but this is part of me. I think we need to, to build like a mild form of iconoclasm. Mild form. Not the real one. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be smashing movie posters or anything like that. I'm not. But what I'm using is the word iconoclast. You heard that term? In our culture, iconoclast is a good word. He's an iconoclast. It means someone who fights against the prevailing cultural mindset. Who's doing something new. Someone who stands up against the sacred cows of our culture. Now, we don't want to make, take icons and destroy them, but think about the power of idols. Think about them being defeated, about them being, being dragged off or being smashed. There's this, there's this picture, there's this thing that humans do. It's called Danatio Memorio. When we take a powerful statue and we, and we destroy it, do you remember the iconic? Moment when Saddam Hussein's statue was pulled down and destroyed. It represented destruction of a godlike dictator. Or Lenin or the fall of the Soviet Union. How can we as Christians tear our idols down? How do we tear down the, the walls between our culture and our God? I remember when I gave my life to Christ back as a teenager. And in some ways, I feel kind of silly about it. But I, as I look back on it, I recognize it as an important part of my life. I remember taking each of my CDs and breaking them. Anyone else have the, the CD breaking? Some of them I wish I had back, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but I don't, because I recognize at that time, some of those CDs, I had actually made 
I was, I was young, and, and, and I had actually made gods of them. I spent all my time on my music, traveling concerts, everything, memorizing words, memorizing all these songs. And you know what? I, I have to admit, some of the music, the hip-hop music I was listening to, I actually started doing some things that I would never have done if it wasn't for the music influencing me. That, that's straight up. I can tell you exactly that's true. I'm not going to pretend that the art doesn't influence me. Now, we can't escape. I'm not like, pretend we go in a bubble and just hide out. and you can't escape it. But I can... Maybe control it? I can maybe recognize where I'm in danger of letting some of these things influence me in negative ways? And start to search for where am I allowing idolatry to come into my life? And how am I going to take that down? Is it drastic, like getting rid of television or getting rid of the internet or turning off sports or podcasts? I'm not sure what it is for you. But I would say that I remember in ancient Egypt, I mean, in ancient Ephesus, when people became Christians, they all gathered all their witchcraft books, all their spell books, put it in a big bonfire, and they just burned it all. Millions of dollars. What is an idol in your life? I gotta admit, like, it can be my, it can be your own family. How do we Check our hearts and allow God to speak to us. What am I putting in front of God? Who am I giving my time to and allowing to take away from God? Is it a bird? <laughs> Distracting you from the word of God. Started. <laughs> Started. I actually want to take a moment and give you a chance to, to do this. We have some little cards in front of you, uh, beside you. Can we take a moment, if you're a good artist, maybe draw something that you're like, this is kind of becoming an idol for me. If you're not a good artist like myself, you can write it down. And don't worry, we're going to have you get rid of these. I think they'll end up at my, my house in a bonfire. I think that's what I'm going to end up doing, so I won't read them. But I want, I want us to write these down, just to give to God. God, here's a thing in my life that I'm worried I'm putting in front of you. Just take a couple minutes to do that. This is the question God's asking us today. How can we be loving iconoclasts in, in the good sense? How can we point out to our culture, here's some idols that we're worshiping? How do we point out to our church, here's some idols that we're worshiping? And how do we begin to dismantle them? Part of it will be by plundering the Egyptians, taking artistic idols, melting them down and then building some art that honors God. We can learn to love and live art without letting it become an idol that enslaves us. Like TV shows and movies. And so this is the call of art this week. Yes, don't make weak art, 
But even more, don't let the world's art make your heart weak. 